Today marks the first Sunday of Advent. I'm sorry you've actually drawn the short straw this morning. It was supposed to be Charlie speaking, but Charlie's chucked a sickie, and so um, you, got, you got me. <laughs> so you got me, uh, and uh, I'm sorry about that, uh, but we'll get him We'll get him back, don't worry. Today marks the first Sunday of Advent, and so before all things Christmassy become truly overwhelming and stressful, if they haven't already, you know, the shopping, uh, the parties, those of you with children, the uh, endless nativity plays and school productions, the family traumas that may or may not happen, this actually... Advent, this is a time for us to pause. It's a time for us to uh, take breath, uh, to stop and uh, reflect. There's something in the rhythm, I think, of this preparatory season of Advent. It it helps us um, remember, it helps us recover, actually, something of the mystery, something of the excitement actually, that uh, Christmas really ought to have and is really about. And, you know, we're approaching the darkest time of the year in terms of the weather and the climate. And Advent actually is sort of, I was saying this last week, it's like a sort of liturgical signpost in the dark and the darkness. And what it's doing is it's pointing back to Jesus' birth and it's pointing ahead to his return. And, And it actually offers this gleam, this light, He's singing about light for, the, for a reason. It's, it's light in the darkness. Advent is that light in the darkness. It's giving us hope. And Advent it actually means it means coming uh, or arrival. And it's, it's actually sort of, sort of unhelpfully, it's, it's about two very different things all at the same time. On the one hand, it's about celebrating the first coming of Jesus. It's about celebrating the birth of Jesus, which we all know. But at the same time, it's actually about looking forward. It's about looking ahead. It's about looking forward to the second coming, Jesus' return, the return of Jesus when he will put things right, when he will put all things right. And so in Advent, what we're doing is we're going on this journey. We're, we're thinking our way back to the ancient people of God, you know, we're thinking back to things like the call of Abraham and his family as the start of God's rescue operation for a world in ruins and a human race in chaos. It's, it's journeying with the people of God um, through Israel's hope, you know, and the hope that they had and the hope that they held on to and a hope that refused to die, you know, no matter what terrible things happened, you know, a hope it's about remembering and thinking about a hope that the first Christians believed had become human in the form of the baby Jesus. Because what happened with that first advent is it was clear that God's rescue operation for us and for the world had decisively begun, but was not yet completed. You know, and Jesus, we see through his life and his, his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, what Jesus does is he's inaugurating the kingdom of God. And it's, it's very much on earth as it is in heaven. But it becomes very clear when you look through the, the narrative of the scriptures, just because of the nature of the, the sort of kingdom that God was establishing, the sort of kingdom that God was 
inaugurating through Jesus that that kingdom would then need to make its way through the lives or, and the self-giving sacrifice of Jesus' followers until the times when Jesus returns to finish and complete that work and to put all things right. And that's kind of where we find ourselves because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, there will be no more sadness. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. The old order of things will pass away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. He will bring those things together in completion. And so during this Advent uh, season, we celebrate Jesus' first coming, and we use that sense of fulfillment to, to fuel our hope for his second coming. And so not, it's, it's very much as part of the now and the not yet kingdom theology. We find ourselves in that tension between the first Advent and the second. And over the next four weeks... In the run-up to Christmas, we want to do all that we can to reflect on the season. We want to take some time. We want to slow down. We want to pause. We want to take stock. And so the next uh, four Sunday mornings, we'll be looking at four themes that will help us, help guide us through as we look at thanksgiving, patience, humility, and joy. And then, as Kate's already said, on Sunday evenings, on the 9th, we've got the sing-along uh, and on the 16th, we've got the more traditional nine lessons, nine carols uh, service. That's really us joining together in these things again, which are moments for us to come together, to gather together as we mark the most wonderful, this wonderful, most wonderful time of year. Does that make sense? Very good. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? I think the words might come up on the screen. We are in Luke chapter 2. Very good. On the eighth day... When it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification uh, that was required by the law of Moses, G Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, and he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God 
and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the scriptures. We just pray that you would come and you would minister to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I am very aware that this isn't the most natural starting place, uh, chronologically speaking, for us to embark on our Advent uh, journey. The Archangel Gabriel has been and gone. Mary and Joseph, they've been turfed out of the inn. The shepherds have been sung to by an angelic host. And Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of the world, has already been born. So... We're now at a point where Jesus is just over six weeks old. He's been presented at the temple in consecration to the Lord. And what happens is we encounter these two sometimes sort of overlooked heroes of mine from the nativity story, Simeon uh, and Anna. And while the story may not be technically in order, there's something about Anna that I think gives us a really, really good starting place for us all as we approach Advent. Have a look at verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. It's that almost little sort of almost thrown throwaway phrase. She gave thanks to God that I want us to look at briefly this morning. And what I want us to look at as we turn our attention towards Christmas, as we begin our Advent journey, is how thanksgiving is really to be our setting off point, it's our starting place. How everything that comes next really comes from this place of giving thanks to God. So firstly, just a bit of background, what do we know about Anna? Well, according to verse 36, she was very old. Um, it's not clear how old she was. Luke tells us that she'd been married for seven years and then widowed. And so her widowhood has either lasted 84 years or she's 84 years old. Some scholars figure it this way. Anna was probably married at the age of 14. That was a very common age. Uh, she was widowed, therefore, probably around 21. And uh, that means that she meets this family 84 years later, which makes her probably around 105. Um, either way, whether she's 84 or whether she's 105, uh, she's pretty old for, thank you, for first century Jerusalem. And actually, in a couple of verses, Luke gives us this um, surprisingly full description of this wonderful woman. Uh, she's a prophet. In fact, she's um, the, only, the New Testament's only named female prophet. Uh, Luke gives her father's name. Doesn't give her husband's name, give her father's name. Um, he mentions her tribe. He says she's from the tribe of Asher. And, and that doesn't sound very important, but what that means is she numbers alongside just Jesus and Saul and Barnabas as being among the New Testament characters with tribal listings. In spite of her age, she never leaves the temple. She worships night and day, fasting and praying. She is, without question, like totally awesome. She's like amazing. She's like a legend. She's a hero. Here's this woman. She's faced some serious challenges in her life. She's, she was widowed at a young age. And whether she's 84 or 105, she's gone through life on her own. She's had to face some serious difficulties. And yet, in spite of it all, the first thing that she does when she encounters Jesus is she gives thanks 
to God. Thanksgiving. Over all the years, through all the hardships, through the loss and the disappointment and just the difficulties and the challenges, when she sees Jesus, she gives thanks to God. And, you know, if thankfulness, thankfulness is really just one trait that I, I think I wish we all had more of. Certainly a trait I wish I had more of. You know, because what thankfulness does is it, it keeps us in a place of, um, of humility, actually. What thankfulness does is it keeps us in that place of just recognizing need, recognizing our need, recognizing our vulnerability. What thankfulness does is it, it keeps us mindful of the, the many blessings of God, just incre- how incredibly kind and generous God has been to us. Thanksgiving is recognizing that we have been blessed, that we have benefited from someone else or from something else. Maybe we've benefited, benefited from another person. Maybe we've benefited from the Lord himself who's given us something and blessed us with something. And thankfulness is, is just one of those things. It keeps our hearts and our minds sweet and open to what God is doing. Thankfulness enables us to stay aware of God, aware of the presence of God, aware of the promises of God. And when we're thankful, it's so much easier for us to stay present in God's presence, cultivating thankfulness, cultivating thanksgiving. And thankfulness really is dependence. It's it's humility, it's gratitude, it's gratefulness, and it keeps us rooted and connected. Thankfulness is where I, I look at the work of God. When I look and I think and I take a moment and stop and pause and reflect on what God has done in my life, his story in my life, and I acknowledge all that he's done and I give him all the glory and the honor and the praise and the thanks for it all. Okay, we're doing a couple of things slightly differently this morning. Just before we go on, what we want us to do, I want us to just take a moment. Okay, just a moment, just in quiet. Just you, just between you and the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to do anything public. I'm just going to take a moment just to be thankful right here, right now. Okay? Just be quiet and still just between you and God. And um, Very simply, this first thing I want you to do is I want you to just take a moment to think of um, something that has blessed you in the last day or two. It could be really, really small, but just a blessing from the last day or two. And... As you bring that to mind, just prayerfully bring that to mind. And just very simply, just very, very quickly, just thank God for that blessing. Thanksgiving um, has been described as the, as the practice in which we receive grace, actually. Um, even just by spending 10 minutes a day in Thanksgiving, it can just really help us in our connection with, um, with God. Apparently, it can improve our sense of well-being. German theologian Meister Eckhart said, if the only prayer you ever said um, was thank you, you know, that would be enough. And it's, 
The word gratitude, what it does, it comes, it's derived from the, the Latin word um, gratus, which means like pleasing and agreeable and thankful. It's from the word gratia, uh, which means favor and thanks. And, and the point is that in gratitude, both of these, the, the Latin origins, convey this sense of grace. There's a grace in this, and thanksgiving is a practice in which we receive grace. Uh, research on gratitude carried out by the American Psychological Association, reported in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, which I read the other night, <laughs> apparently said this. Our research has shown that grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions, such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism. And that the practice of gratitude as a discipline protects a person from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. Grateful people recover more quickly from illness and benefit from greater physical health, increased feelings of connectedness, and improved relationships. When people experience gratitude, they feel more loving, more forgiving, and closer to God. Gratitude, we have found, maximizes our enjoyment of the good. And being able to press into thanksgiving, it often occurs when we take the time to stop and reflect and remember all that is good in our lives and how much of that has come about purely through the goodness and the grace of God. And when you look through the scriptures, that's, entire, that's the, the role of thanksgiving in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, you see these celebrations of things that only exist because of God's goodness. The Old Testament, if it had a jingle, you know, it would be give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. It's like over and over and over and again. And it's about not taking things for granted. It's about stopping and pausing and reflecting and remembering all of the many things that are good and just being thankful for them. Okay, so here's a second pause. Uh, taken as granted. And what I want us to do is just take a moment to imagine and just to think about something that possibly, quite obviously unintentionally, that something maybe in our lives that we have been taking for granted. Something or someone. Maybe just have a think about something that's about to come to an end, something that you enjoy, and you've not really given time to thank God uh, for it. Um, maybe there's something, and it's been part of your life for so long, that actually, if you're honest, you've stopped giving thanks for it because it's so familiar. Let's just take a moment just to think about something that perhaps you haven't been as grateful for over the last little while that you might have been. And let's just take a moment to remember that thing, that person, and to thank God for it or for them.
As we move through the scriptures, we move through the Old Testament, we see Thanksgiving is the part that it plays. When we get to the Gospels, when we look at the life of Jesus, it's like Thanksgiving gets this turbo boost. You see Jesus, you know, feeds the multitude, feeds the 5,000 or the 15,000, depending on who you're counting, whether you're including women and children. But he feeds the 5,000 out of almost nothing following Thanksgiving. He gives thanks and feeds the multitude. In all of the the three of the synoptic gospels, Jesus does the same thing with the Last Supper. Uh, In Matthew uh, 26, it says, Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. So in Jesus, what we see is what God can do when somebody is living their life out of this place of thankfulness. Um, Thanksgiving, what it does, it takes what's ordinary, five loaves and two fishes. It doesn't matter how ordinary, you know, the, the, the bread and the, the, the wine, and it, it, multitude, it multiplies it, it magnifies it. And in the Last Supper, Jesus is saying, just as there was enough bread for everyone, so too there's enough grace for everyone. And then we move on through the scriptures and we come to the writings of Paul. And if we read the writings of Paul through the lens of thanksgiving and gratitude, we understand him a little bit better. Uh, there are roughly like 50 occurrences of words that could easily be translated as thanks or thanksgiving or gratitude. And what he does is he instructs us to be thankful. He describes thankfulness. He, he expresses thanks. And the way that Paul expresses thanks is really interesting. He, he's often m- most thankful for what God has done through Jesus in the lives of the people around him. And that's a great way to practice thanksgiving. Giving thanks to God for what he has done through Jesus in the lives of people around us. Okay, last pause. Uh, To whom and for what? To whom are we thankful for and for what are we thankful for? I want you to just think of a couple of people who, uh, over the last few days, have been a blessing to you. They've contributed to your life. They've, they've done something kind, whatever, just maybe in a really small way. Um, and what I want you to do is just, just think about them for a minute and just name them before God and thank God for them by name and for whatever it is that in whatever way it was that they blessed you. Uh, Thank God for all that they are to you, all that they mean to you. And, you know, perhaps think about how over the next couple of days, not only could you thank God for them, but you could actually maybe go and find them and say to them how thankful you are for them and for whatever it is they did. Let's just take a, a couple of moments just to think People who blessed you in the last few days.
Okay. So, as we turn into this season of Advent, we look back to Jesus' birth. We look ahead to his return. Let's make this Christmas season a season of thanksgiving. Let's even just take a few minutes each day on this journey towards Christmas to be thankful, to be grateful, to express our gratitude. And just to help us with that, I'm setting you some Advent homework. Here are three things for you to maybe think about that's connected with the things that we've just done. The first is, every day count your blessings. Okay, so every day over Advent, there's like 24 days or whatever it is, just at some point, maybe before you go to bed, just take a moment and just count three of your blessings, or five, but you know, just like, not too many, like don't overdo it, okay? But just count three of your blessings, three good things that happened to you that day. And um, just bring them to mind and thank God for them. Maybe jot them down, maybe write them down in a journal, maybe keep a little pad by your bed and just scribble them down and make a note. And then just make an intentional decision and a choice to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for those things. Count your blessings. Second thing, taken for granted. Um, Each day during Advent, just think of maybe just one small, it could be really, really small, but it might be an important thing to you that maybe you are taking for granted. And then firstly, thank God for whatever it is, and then just think of ways that you can be more intentionally appreciative of it over the coming days and weeks. And then the third thing is express yourself. Finally, express your gratitude for someone. Uh, Express it to God, express it to them, either for who they are or what they do, or just because, because you love them. And can I encourage you to give your thanks to God for that person, but can I also encourage you, find them, seek them out, and tell them. You know, I just wanted to say thank you for whatever it is. I just wanted to say how thankful I am to God for you. I just wanted to say how grateful I am to God for you. And maybe, uh, you, maybe you, don't, you won't be able to see them. Maybe write them a note. Maybe put it down on paper. Maybe put your, your thoughts and your feelings in a Christmas card, if any of you still send them. You know, rather than the mindless, happy Christmas, right, why don't you just like, write like, do you know what, I just wanted to say, you are so amazing, you've been such an incredible blessing to me this year, I am so thankful to the Lord for you, because that's the kind of Christmas card you'd want to get. Send them to me. Um, <laughs> this is all about me, by the way. Uh, I'll just be over here at the end, so just form an orderly queue. Um, anyway, over the coming week, let's be in the habit of being thanks, thankful and, um, and saying so. Why don't you stand, and we'll have the band back.